0: Thank you for having my family and I here today. It's been a long time coming. We've actually been in conversation about this for a few months, and I just want to thank the church council and the pastoral staff for inviting me to even be a candidate for this role. We have served in Hardin County for several years with different congregations that are kind of around the community. Uh, Most recently, we were at Emanuel Baptist Church just down the road a bit uh, after Pastor Chuck retired. After 32 years, uh, we got to serve for them for a little over a year during the COVID year and help them with their pastoral transition. Uh, This, if all goes well, would actually uh, be opportunity number 15. Either that's saying I'm getting really old Or there's churches who need a lot of help. I can't figure out which is which. But uh, we feel very called to this ministry, have been able to serve in this role in different churches of different sizes for different lengths of time. And the goal is always the same, to be a help. It's never to be in the way or to be a problem or to stir things up. It's to really help. It's to help congregation through a transition period. It's to help the pastoral staff as one of them and serving to encourage them and and at times even walk with them through a series of decisions that need to be made. It's to help the pastor search committee if they need help. Often they don't, but if they need help, I'm glad to uh, provide that service. Uh, And most certainly, it's to uh, to help new people hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and come to faith in Him. Amen. It's. It's the purpose of these things. And so if uh, God would be so inclined, we would be honored to serve in that capacity. Uh, I want to say just a welcome to the uh, South Wilson campus today as they are joining us. And I want to thank them also for being with us. Uh, Andrew mentioned my family's here and I just want to point them out. I know this might embarrass them a minute, but my wife, Jennifer, uh, the other Dr. Garrison, Dr. Jennifer Garrison is here. Jennifer, you want to wave? Yes, she's so happy to do that. Uh, we will be married 20 years in uh, April of the upcoming year. I also have my oldest son, Isaac, who is 16 years old and is a sophomore at Campbellsville High School. I is right there. And our younger son, Ethan, is 14, and he's an eighth grader at uh, Taylor County Middle School. We're a two-school family, two family. We send one one way and one the other and do the pickup lines and all that kind of thing. And so uh, we're, we're certainly glad to be here. If I can say something to the Valley Creek Church this morning, let me just say this. God loves you. God has a plan for you. God loves this church and God has a plan for this church. That is indisputable. It's not something that we can argue or question. God loves you as men and women, sons and daughters, children of his. And he loves this faith family. And he has a purpose and a plan for this time and a purpose and a plan for this season. And I know that this morning you're listening to someone you've never heard of before. And there's a good rule of thumb on a day that you might be voted on. Go short. You don't go long on the day you're going to be voted on. So I will do my best to make it short, make it simple and to the point. If you have your copy of God's Word today, I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, a few moments I'm going to read from verse 9 through 14 about two very different guys. Two very different guys. You know we're on a Thanksgiving holiday weekend and in every home and in every house there's a couple different guys on Thanksgiving day. Uh, There is one type of guy who's Locked and loaded to the television set. They're watching football. No matter who the Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys play, they are zoned in. Thanksgiving equals football. Now, there's another kind of guy, particularly the more uh, modern guy, who's not so much on football, but they're in the kitchen and they're like an expert culinary chef, or so they think. And they're working on the turkey and they're carving it to a certain specificity and and they're making sure everyone knows just how much they prepared when we all know it was very little. You have the sports fan guy and the amateur chef guy, usually on Thanksgiving. Now, the day after Thanksgiving, you have two different types of guys. You got the guy who is so ready for Black Friday sales and Black Friday shopping that they've mapped out which places in Elizabethtown or maybe to Louisville to go. They know what time they're open, what to get, where in the store they should find the product. And then you have another kind of guy who would kill himself if he had to go to those stores. I'm being very facetious, but no, he's instead in the deer stand. Ooh, it's hunting season. He is also locked and loaded, but with a very different kind of weapon. He's thinking about the hunter-gatherer. He's thinking about what he's going to bring home that day. Two kinds of guys. Even a day like today, the Sunday before the holiday weekend is over, you got two kinds of guys. you got the kind of guy who's probably been at home for three or four days and probably has kind of been with family more than they normally are, and they're kind of itching to go back to work, itching to get back into the regular routine. And you got the other kind of guy who, man, if they didn't have to go back to work, it would be A-OK. Put up the Christmas decorations, sit around a little bit more. Two kinds of guys. Now, in none of those made-up comparisons is one right and one wrong. They're just different kinds of people, different kinds of guys. But as you think about them, you might learn a little bit about what they value, about what they prioritize, about what makes them tick. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus shares a parable about two very different guys. They couldn't be any more different. They couldn't be any more distinct. He has a meaning and a purpose in sharing about these two guys. And the audience that he's speaking to, he wants them to do some soul searching and some personal inventory. He wants them to think about these two characters in the story and determine which they are more like. Which of the two kinds of guys do they most like? Resemble. He wants them to look past the story and look past the, the storytelling to think about what's going on in their hearts, in their minds, in their souls. And he shares a truth that was quite important then, that goodness gracious is even as important to today. Listen to this parable in Luke chapter 18 starting in verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Now I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I want to look at two kinds of guys today. And as I close the message, I'm going to ask you the question I'm asking right now. Which one do you more resemble? Well, let's talk about the wrong kind of guy first, because that's ultimately where Jesus starts. Now, the message is to a specific audience and specific to the hearers that were around him at the time and Uh, The gospel writer Luke kind of gives us a little snapshot into who is actually hearing this message, who Jesus is speaking to. He says in verse 9 that Jesus shared this parable with a group of people who trusted in themselves, that they thought of themselves as righteous. And not only that, but they treated others with contempt. The audience or the listeners that Jesus is speaking to are kind of the epitome of the wrong kind of guy. He's giving this story because he wants a specific group to think about themselves a minute. And it tells us where they stand. They're a little trusting in their own abilities and their own skills and their own self-righteous acts. And they treat people poorly. They treat people with contempt. And the text leads us to believe that Jesus is actually speaking to a group known as the Pharisees. Now, without going into deep biblical exploration, I'll say quickly, the Pharisees are a group that Jesus deals with time and time again. And often it's not comfortable conversations. It's often very conflict oriented. Jesus deals with the religious leaders of the time, the Higher order Jewish leaders and he has problems with them, big problems. They have misinterpreted God's law and they have placed hundreds, if not thousands, of extra rules and regulations onto God's commands, and they treat people poorly and they're just stuck up. You know anybody stuck up? Now I don't want you to point this morning. Don't don't out anybody here. You ever been around someone that's just full of themselves. I mean, whenever you get around them, you know who they think the most important person in the room is. And it's not you. And it's not anybody else. It's themselves. Well, that's who Jesus is dealing with. And they have done their due damage to the people of God by criticizing them and critiquing them and making them feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And Jesus has an enormous problem with them. And so in this parable he's going to use this exact group as one of the fictitious characters because in the end they think they're the right kind of guy but in Jesus' parable they're the definition of the wrong kind of guy he says in verse 10 two men go up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. In verse 11, the Pharisee, look at what is descriptive of this character. He stands by himself and he prays this prayer. Lord, never let anyone pray this prayer from this pulpit. Amen. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. You almost want to give a voice to this Pharisee's prayer. God, I thank you, that I'm not like these losers, these extortioners and unjust and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, remember, Jesus is using exaggeration here. He's using hyperbole. He's, he's making a point. In our modern language, we would say Jesus is going overboard to get the point across. He's making this Pharisee out to be a fool. So that we can see past the parable into what's really going on. The Pharisee says, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. His exaggeration points to the Pharisee's posture in his presence. That he's not even willing to stand close to people. He's not even willing to associate with those around him. If he gets too close to the unclean, some of their dirt. Move off to him. You can see about his opinion of himself. Oh, he thanks God that he's not like these other folks. He's judgmental, condescending. He says about the people around him, oh, they're extortioners and they're unjust and they're adulterers. He's very generally snobbish, pompous, arrogant. But he's even specifically About the tax collector that's going to be in the other part of the parable. He won't even look at the tax collector. Won't even be associated with the tax collector. And man, he wants to tout his own righteous acts. I fast, I tithe. Would any of you want to be around this person if they were real? No one here at Valley Creek is like this. I believe this 100%. But can you imagine someone who thinks so great of themselves, who has so much pride, so much arrogance, has a spirit that is so haughty, so pompous, so condescending, so judgmental. Would any of you want to invite this person to your Thanksgiving dinner? I mean, No, you don't want to be around this person. You can't stand this person. You don't know them. They're fictitious in Jesus's parable. But if you knew someone who was like this, that would be the last person you would want at your table. Friends, let me tell you. Jesus isn't giving this parable so we think about somebody else. So that we get another picture in our mind. So that we envision someone we know, we work with, someone in our family. Jesus is sharing this fictitious exaggeration because he knows It's possible in the heart of everyone. Pride, arrogance, self-righteousness, condescension, being judgmental, being haughty is not something for them and for that guy and for that lady and for the person next to me in the cubicle. No, this potential, this possibility is in the heart of every one of us. Everybody here has the potential and the possibility of being an arrogant snob. We all have the possibility and the potential of being prideful about our own self righteousness. Every one of us in this room has the potential and the possibility of thinking more highly of ourselves. I'll just confess it I'm prideful. How about you? And pride over and over in the scriptures is something that we are warned against. Proverbs 16 verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And Be assured, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18, just a few verses down says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Friends, we all have this potential. And in my life, it showed up a few weeks ago. Can I be transparent with you today? I don't know you. I can say whatever you want or I want. I don't know. You don't know if I'm telling the truth or making it up. Well, I'm giving some evidence today. A few weeks ago, some of our students were coming to our house for a shoebox party to pack some shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. And I came in from work and I thought, oh, I got these students here. They're all kind of doing their little thing. I'm going to show off my cooking skills. Now, a few weeks before, my wife had bought me a KitchenAid mixer, what I call the man mixer. You get a KitchenAid and you're a dude, that may seem a little feminine. But for me, it's the best thing I've got in a long time. I got this mixer, and I'd been working on my cookie skills. Now, I'm not much of a baker, but I'm trying to learn. And up to that point, I had, had made two batches of cookies, and they were okay. But I thought, oh, there's guests in the house, students here. I want to show off a bit. I'm getting out my man mixer, and I'm going to prove my cookie skills. Well, I put the whip then battered together and brought everything to mix, put it in the oven, and out came these beauties. Look at these cookies. Come on, Valley Creek, say it with me. Ooh. Ah. Oh, I was so proud. I was so proud. The students were enjoying them. I was kind of walking around the house with a little peacock. You know, hey, look at me. I'm that was a joke, folks. Come on, I'm doing everything I can here. Nine o'clock, giving it my best. So arrogant that I even posted a picture on Instagram, posted it on Facebook, very proud of myself. That was on Tuesday. Well, a few days later, I come home from work and I decide I'm going to make some cookies for my family because I'd like to take some to my coworkers. I mean, I had such a good run just a few days ago. I'm going to make them again. And I go in the kitchen and I'm so arrogant that I don't look at the recipe because I've got this by now. I don't really even think about the ingredients because, oh, I've already made three whole batches before and I had a success on Tuesday night. So I make up the batter and I noticed it looked a little funny, smelled a little funny, but I put them in the oven anyways and out came these. Disaster. Disaster. I I still don't exactly know what I did wrong, but obviously I did something terribly wrong. They stunk up the house. My, My youngest was playing a video game and he yelled out, What on earth have you done? I'm like, I don't know, man, but they stink. They smell bad. I just threw them straight in the garbage. I didn't want, I didn't post this picture on Instagram, I'll tell you that. No sharing this. You know, pride in the smallest things comes before destruction in the smallest things. But I will tell you, pride in the big things will also result into destruction in the big things. I don't have to give an example or list the names of names of people in ministry who allowed their pride to go exponentially high and then within short order, a destructive fall. I don't have to give... Mention of political figures who are prideful to the utmost and then a fall. Business leaders who have a lot of pride and arrogance before a fall. I don't have to mention any churches who find a lot of pride before a fall. The truth of the matter is Jesus in this parable wants us not to make the Pharisee out to be the, the villain. The He wants us to look inward to see if we could be on the precipice of a fall. Scripture says in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This Pharisee, the scripture says, left the same way he came in. Even as in the society he might have been vaulted and celebrated and looked up to, he leaves the temple the exact same way he came in, unjustified. The same arrogance, the same pride, the same self-righteousness went with him as he entered. But humility, humility is the defining characteristic of the right kind of God. Let me briefly say a word about the right kind of guy we've put the wrong kind of guy on blast well let's think about the right kind of guy the right kind of guy oddly enough in the parable is the tax collector and you got to understand to the audience that's the furthest thing from their their normal thinking because the tax collector in their day and we don't have to go down this road but you know is the outcast it's the worst of the worst it's the traitor it's the enemy of the people. Yes, they are Jewish by birth and within the society, but the tax collectors have sold out the community and have put in with the Roman oppressors. Now, Jesus called tax collectors, he had dinner with tax collectors. We know of Matthew or Levi, one of the disciples Jesus called to follow him. We know of Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up in a what? A sycamore tree. He was a tax collector, actually a chief tax collector, the scripture says. And throughout Jesus' confrontations with the Pharisees, one of the major issues was that Jesus associated and had dinner and visited with sinners and tax collectors. So the tax collector in their day would normally have been the wrong kind of guy. But in the parable, he is epitomized as the right one the best one the better one because of his spirit because of his attitude because of his humility verse 13 tells us that tax collector stands far off well, he's he's not worried about who's around him he's recognizing he's in the presence of god He's recognizing who the ultimate authority is. It's not the Pharisee in the story. It's not the people around him. He's nervous because of who he is and the heart that he has before a holy, righteous God. It says that he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. The Pharisee was proud and arrogant. And I thank God I'm not like these pathetic others. This tax collector is so fully aware of his sin, he's not looking around at other people. He's not even sure he can look up to God. He beats his chest. He he pounds his own body. There's a brokenness and a sadness, a physical outpouring of his own shame and guilt. He recognizes the full penalty of his sin is rightly on his shoulders and he deserves it. And he prays this prayer. What a simple prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's not talking about others. He's not talking about his talents or his gifts or his tithes. He's asking for God's mercy and he's confessing his own sin. He's taking on the very promised Declaration of Exodus 34 6 where the Lord says the Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and is gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's just praying his heart out. And I believe his prayer resembles something very closely to James 4, 8 and 9, which says draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. We don't often think about the brokenness and the sadness and the humility that comes with recognizing God is holy and we are sinful and calling upon His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness and confessing that we have nothing in and of ourselves that could be right before him but praise be to God he sent Jesus to die in our place and to forgive our sins and to make us clean before a holy God I mean that's his attitude that's his heart that's his innermost feelings before God which would you most resemble you know the scripture says in James four ten, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you friends the Parable concludes that this man leaves forgiven, justified, washed clean. For he didn't exalt himself, but instead he exalted the one who is worthy. Friends, which do you most resemble? The easiest place for us in this parable is to say, well, I am definitely not the Pharisee in the story. I'm definitely not self-righteous. I'm definitely not arrogant. I'm definitely not proud. But when you say all those things in your heart and if you really mean them, you might be pointing to the very fact that that's true. You may say, well, I'm not broken and I'm not sad and I'm not messed up and I'm not all on my knees and beating my chest and won't even look to God. I'm not that wretched. The point is not to place yourself with the tax collector, but to see the heart behind the man. Friends, we all can be one or the other. We can be the wrong kind of guy or the right kind of guy. We can be the one who is so self-righteous that we look at everybody else and point out their sin. Or hopefully we can be the kind of person that Jesus praises in this parable. The one that recognizes ultimately that none of us have anything to stand on but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Which one would you be more like today? If you were in that audience and heard this parable, would you go away offended, upset, angry, put out with Jesus? Or would you find yourself falling on your knees before him and thanking God for the forgiveness that only God gives? I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Invite the praise team to join me here. The easiest thing to do in the message like this is to think, well, I'm so glad he said it because that person needs to hear it. That person needs to get right with God. That person needs to change their attitude. It's so easy to point quickly at the other and totally miss you and I. And I pray this morning that you wouldn't be looking to anyone else but to your own heart, to your own soul, to your own attitudes. And you'd ask the Spirit of God to show you which one have you most resembled this week, this month, this year. Would you be the right kind of guy or the wrong kind of guy? The greatest news I can tell you, if you're the wrong kind of guy, there is forgiveness and there is grace and there is mercy in Jesus Christ. He forgives and makes clean the most proud, arrogant soul. And he does that by allowing us to look fully into his face upon the cross and recognizing our own sin, being convicted, repenting, asking for forgiveness and being changed. Maybe this morning that would be your prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner, in need of forgiveness. Maybe there would be one today that would say, I'm not really the Pharisee and not really the tax collector. I'm just one who has not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I don't know what it means to follow God or walk in His path. And this morning you would like to know a little bit more about what it means to trust Jesus and to be a new new believer in Him. I'm going to say a prayer and then Pastor Andrew's going to be here in the front. If you'd like to come to this altar, you're always welcome. If you'd like to pray with someone, there will be here folks here to receive you. pray that you would respond now as God leads. Father, we thank You for this time and we thank You for this moment. I pray in the coming few minutes that we would respond appropriately to your spirit and to your word that we would trust you to know that you have a message for us in our hearts Lord, we thank you for this time and we ask your spirit to move now in Jesus name amen and amen